Listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free with Stitcher Premium, like Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Science Rules with Bill Nye, and more. Plus, get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and more. Just $4.99 a month. Go to stitcher.com premium and use promo code THEWILDLIFE for one month free. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal, actually. I like, think, yeah. You know, I, I mean, just look at that. Like, how many episodes can you watch in one day? I don't know. I mean, if you think about, like, like, like uh, if we were blue whales who gain, you know, 240, 250 pounds, pounds a day, I, that's like, that's like 10 podcasts an hour. So, I kind of understand what you're saying but i also don't at all because podcasts are sustenance they are they're they're a life force right they're a life force because people make them and build a revenue but also because you just gain so much there's so much to gain from listening to a podcast on your couch or on a run or your drive to work so much to gain like 10 pounds an hour like like a baby whale Point is, you should use the quarantine to clean your house while listening to Stitcher Premium. And not just Stitcher Premium, but totally the wildlife. Like, I mean, of course. Yeah, like us talking about animals and stuff. And who wouldn't want to listen to that while you're vacuuming? I mean, you might as well, like, learn while you, while you clean instead of listening to the same 15 songs you always do. Yeah. Or, like, you forget that you're listening and you step into another room and then you're suddenly frightened by horrible animal sounds coming out of the other room and then you realize, oh, that's right. It's just animal sound of the week. Ha, those guys. Yeah. <laughs> this is Devin. And this is Richard. And this is The Wildlife, a science and nature show hosted by two brothers that tells nature's untold stories and wild secrets. It's also episode 52 without Ryan Riddles as a guest to compare and contrast real-life wolverines, you know, those little mammals with the claws and the brown fur, with, with Hugh Jackman's wolverine, the, the critically acclaimed, everyone's favorite wolverine. There, there's a lot of differences between the two. And uh, in order to break those down, Ryan, we really need your help to do that. Nobody else can really do it. Not even not even Hugh Jackman himself. Okay, so we need you. Come on, Ryan. We, I, I, I know you're a fun dude. You're obviously a really fun dude. Come on, let's have some fun. You get some wildlife shirts that you can work out your, your uh, rigid bod in. Did you just say rigid? Okay, so... You know, I see you're doing a, the whole charity thing too and stuff. So I mean, who knows? Like we could, we could do. We have no money, so we can't really like do that. But you know, do it for the children. Do it for the children. Also, right at the top here, uh, this is the opportunity that we would like to take to thank all of our patrons. We have a few new ones, so that's um that's pretty cool. Um, Andrea Lloyd. Maria Hancox, Mike Henry, Angela Hartman, Chris Trenkel, Matt Capel, Megan Gariani, and Whitney Vandevere. I don't think I'm missing anybody. The list is growing and it's becoming harder to remember all of the names on the spot, which is a good thing. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely a good problem to have. It's 100% a good problem to have. So um, thank you. 
patrons. For as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a patron at patreon.com slash the wildlife. And you know, here's the thing. I know you probably listen to a lot of podcasts and, and we aren't the only one and we might not even be your first pick, but you're listening right now. And we want to say like these patrons, they, they genuinely are the reason for everything. They are, they are what keeps us going. And um, I know you probably listen to a lot of pitches of membership and patronage, but our membership, what we're really trying to create here is, is a community. And we even, last night, we added into our patron benefits. Um, actually, you don't know about this yet, Richard. You don't know about this. But recently, we had added that in the um, if you become a member at $5 or more a month, we will do a full-length episode where we interview you and talk about your favorite animal and your interest in the outdoors and all that stuff. Obviously, you don't have to if you're shy, but just ask Maria Hancocks. It, it worked out just fine. Um, but also, for as little as a dollar a month, you can send us, we'll send you a prompt and a way to do it. You can send us a short audio clip, MP3. You can do a recording on your phone of you introducing yourself, where you're from, and say what your favorite animal is and why. And we will just upload it as a bonus episode into the podcast ether that is for all the ears to hear. So you could you could become famous, who knows? That's pretty dope. Yeah, I know. I, I think this, I mean, that's just going to, you know, we're trying to build a community. We're also going to be doing monthly uh, trivia nights pretty soon here where we do some Google Hangout kind of stuff. And we're working on a book. So if you missed that in the 50th episode, um, that's something else that's on the horizon. And if you're a patron, you get a look at all that stuff too. And you know what? You know what? The other thing that is kind of our life force here, um, much like sacrifices to Pando, the giant Aspen clone out in Utah, um, our reviews, the ratings and reviews that we get, because um, they're the things that um, when we're feeling down and can't fall asleep at night and we open up open up a podcast app and scroll through and we see these reviews, it, it brings us new life. And, and like, like this one from Nerdy Plant Nerd, I love the tone of this show. The host delivers a huge amount of information and education in a way that keeps it fun and engaging. The best kind of educational podcast is the kind that makes you laugh and smile. Everyone learns better when they're happy. Well, you know what? That makes us happy, which makes us better able to teach for you to be happy. So it's like a circle here. It's a symbiosis. My heart. I know, right? My soul. It's so warm. And um, I, I'm happy to say that we are currently rated. I got an email notification. We are currently rated a five-star podcast. Every one of our reviews so far has been five stars. So that's positive. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Really, really, really cool. So oh, yeah. please, wherever you're sitting, uh, leave us a rating, leave us a review. It means more to us than you can possibly imagine. And um, um, you can also, if you look in the episode notes, uh, we'll link to our pod chaser. It's kind of the IMDB of podcast. So go on there and leave us a rating and review too. The great thing about that is we can actually reply to your reviews there. So more of that connection, more of that symbiosis. So please do. Um, today's episode, if you listen to our little bonus that could, that um, ended up being far more widely downloaded than we ever anticipated, our, our homage to mom on Mother's Day, uh, we brought up that our next episode was going to be about the beloved orangutan. And for today, we have a very, very special guest, Leaf Cox. Leaf Cox is a world-renowned 
orangutan expert who's worked in the field for nearly 30 years. He's the author of Orangutans and Their Battle for Survival, and also Orangutans, My Cousins, My Friends, and Finding Our Humanity, and Inner Journey Towards Understanding Ourselves and Our Way Forward. Leif Cox has had leadership roles in 10 different organizations, including the Orangutan Project, which he founded in 1998. He was also responsible for the first ever reintroduction of a zoo-born orangutan into the wild. Leif has been awarded a Master's of Science from Curtin University in Western Australia for his research into the improvement of the welfare of orangutans in captivity. It's, a, it's an issue that is little known, but vitally important. And in today's episode, um, it's, 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 how would you say, um, it ends up being less about orangutans and more about conservation as a whole and the ethic around it and how to do it the right way. So we, we do talk about a lot of things. We talk about orangutans. We talk about, is it orangutan or orangutan? And what's up with tang? And why is their fur orange? And why are they so adorable and so popular and so well-beloved? And like, why are like the, they the most mellow of the apes? It's a whole thing. And do they have different cultures? And how do they greet each other? Do they actually spear fish? What else do we talk about? Oh, pretty smart. I mean, yeah. We talk about intelligence and little orangutan umbrellas and it's so cool and Oreos and palm oil and Karen on Sixth Avenue and how you can better help to conserve the natural world and what your role is in all of this. And we talk about the human condition and uh, violence and love and all of those things all wrapped up under the leafy umbrella in the Borneo rainforest, the orangutan. The Malay word for orangutan means person of the forest. These long-haired ginger primates, much like a cross between Ed Sheeran and Nick Frost, are found only in Sumatra and Borneo. These gentle giants of the forest may only be as tall as Danny DeVito, but their arms are incredibly long, stretching seven feet from fingertip to fingertip. If there were used car lots in the middle of the rainforest, orangutans would almost certainly be the stand-in for a wacky inflatable waving arm tube man. They live their life in the trees as they are huge fans of the childhood game The Floor is Lover, staying off the ground 90% of the time. They even sleep in nests of leafy branches, but before you think that these apes must be in the midst of an identity crisis, as they are clearly not gargantuan birds, you should know that they also use large leaves as umbrellas and shelters to protect themselves from the rain. During the day, if it is not raining, they forage for fruits 
bark insects and only ate meat on incredibly rare occasions. They do this alone. Especially the males. The males are loners. In fact, they ensure they avoid one another by essentially screaming so loud that they can be heard over a mile away. Now that's some social distancing. Don't mistake this behavior as aggressive or even antisocial though. Orangutans actually have distinctive cultures across their geographic locations. Some like the Backstreet Boys and some prefer NSYNC. They also have a variety of social greetings like the Kiss Squeak which is very much what it sounds like. A very squeaky kiss. What you just heard is, is a depiction of um, uh, something that you're probably all somewhat familiar with. If you've ever seen a BBC Earth um, show <clears throat> or really any nature documentary uh, with an orangutan in it, or even a short clip on YouTube, um, we know what an orangutan looks like. Um, they're, they're adorable. They're loved by moms everywhere, much like Eeyore and Tinkerbell. For whatever reason, it feels like there's three things. Um, they, they're, they're big and orange with long scruffy hair. They're sort of the outcast of the great apes in that way where all the other ones are black or brown. You have this weird scruffy ginger of the rainforest. With his big flat pancake face. His big flat pancake face. Kind of looks like a like a great horned owl. Or no, not a great horned owl. A great gray owl. Um, and they, they, they're just kind of that sort of, back like when we talked about penguins, how, how they're sort of toddler-like and clumsy. Like, they give off that vibe. Like, they're super, like, just laid back and chilling in a tree. And then when you see them actually up and moving, they're sort of gangly and all over the place. And they're arms are freakishly long and um you know some of us of a certain age remember the orangutan side by side with clint eastwood and any which way but loose i think like my grandpa's age not not our age i have no idea what you're talking about oh come on no. you don't know what that movie is he's got like an orangutan sidekick all while he's like what yeah it's a complicated plot richard it's a complicated plot that i don't have time to explain in this moment. But here's the here's the part about orangutans that a lot of people don't know. You well, you might have heard about palm oil or or deforestation of the rainforest um, in, in Southeast Asia and uh, in Indonesia and places like Borneo and Sumatra. And you may have heard before that um, orangutans have been a a somewhat indirect, well, actually quite direct victim of a lot of that action. What you might not know is how dramatic that decline is. Borneo's orangutan population has lost 150,000 orangutans in just the past 16 years. And, and that's why the work that Leif Cox does is so important. Um, because it's about, it's about the conservation of the species, about the individual, but it's, it's also about um, 
the conservation of their habitat because what is the conservation of the species without a place for them to live? And that's like just the whole city of orangutans just just gone. Just gone. It's a staggering decline, much like a lot of things right now. Um, but this one, um, for, for a variety of reasons that we'll talk about, um, seems to strike at the heart a little bit more. And we're going to talk about what even that means. But for now, let's get to Leif Cox. Cool. Well, um, my name's Leif Cox. Um, I have a few titles. Um, different organizations um, but my my main role is as a president of the orangutan project working for orangutan conservation um, of their species habitat and all the animals and people who share the rainforest uh how did you get your start i mean where mm -hmm. where along the line in your life did you you know stumble upon orangutans and decide you know this is what i want to focus on mm -hmm. Um, I've always wanted to work with animals, so that was innate in my nature um, from early on. And I had the opportunity to work with 15 orangutans um, and discovered that there were persons, um, self-aware beings like us, um, with the theory of mind. And, um, so, and they didn't belong in captivity. They, they can only survive in their own culture in the wild. And of course, quickly discovered that were driving them to extinction um, through the destruction of their rainforest home. And, and so that kind of started me on my life journey um, to save the orangutans and the rainforest. And, and also obviously led to um, concerns, widening concerns for the indigenous communities, other wildlife, and to save the last remaining ecosystems and, and, the, and the planet um, during this extinction crisis. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in a broader philosophical sense is um, um, what I'm trying to do is to, um, you know, relieve suffering, um, help other living beings um, in the most effective and intelligent way that I, I can achieve um, using my skills and knowledge. And, sure. um, and because of my knowledge and background, um, um, rainforest and orangutan conservation is, is, is the most strategically um, sensible way of um, expressing my love for of living beings. How are orangutans like people? Um, they're, they're, they're like people, as we, we're talking about, in, in a fundamental way, as they're persons. So they, um, they have developed the concept of individual identity. And as a person, we project ourselves into the past and the future. And, and therefore, our, our suffering is greatly increased because we not only suffer from the immediate stimuli within our, in our world, but we suffer from anxieties and worries, which is created by projecting ourselves into the past and future. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's the most fundamental way they're like us. Of course, they share 97% of genetic material with us. So evolutionary wise, yeah. um, they're, they're very similar to us, but in, in some ways very different. We're very much like the warlike chimpanzee, where the orangutan is far more of a pacifist and, and, and a and a forward-thinking sort of um, person. In fact, mm -hmm. I, I often turn them as a more noble form of humanity um, than the aggressive human chimpanzees, um, which is unfortunate because um, yeah, we, we're killing them off in vast numbers. Um, how how many uh, how many species of orangutan are there? There's three species. Three species. Um, yeah, there's the Sumatran, Bornean, and Tapanuli. 
And the Tapanuli represents something, you know, the dichotomy of the world we're living in today. We actually discovered this new species orangutan in the 21st century. So it was only like wow. three or four years ago, it was actually described and found as a new species in this, in this remote forest of the Batampura area. And that's so the same, it's amazing that we can find a new species of great hate in, yeah. on the planet today. Um, but the, the flip side to that is they're planning to um, destroy the habitat, you know, and fragment the, the, the remaining 800 species as we speak. And so, and probably going to end up driving to extinction. So we, we live in a you know, wonderful time of wonder and, 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 and discovery still. Um, and, and at the same time, the imminent destruction of the yeah. beautiful creatures. It's sort of like finding something only to have it swept out of your hand the moment you found it. Sure. Yes. You said 800. So there's 800 left. Is that what you're saying? 800 That's left? That's correct. Of the Tapanuli species, yeah. My understanding um, is that one of the largest driving factors to um, the decline of orangutans in the wild is in relation to palm oil. Um, is that accurate? Well, the, Could you elaborate on that? Or I think it's more accurate to say the um, the, the the main driver for orangutan's extinction is the loss of their habitat. Um, sure. And, and then they've kind of killed during that process or killed the agricultural pests shortly afterwards. Okay. If, if they don't simply starve to death. Sure. Uh, and what, what's, what's replacing the rainforest is unsustainable monocultures. The monocultures which have no ability, as well as all monocultures, don't have any ability to survive long term. Um, the, the, so, and these monocultures consist of, um, you know, rubber, pulp, paper, as two examples. Okay. But because of the, um, the the major one is is, is palm oil. Okay. On what scale are we talking in terms of habitat loss? Um, it, beyond beyond, I think human um, comprehension. When I take people to Sumatra and Borneo, they said, well, I understood the problem, but until I saw it, it I just couldn't comprehend it. Sure. Um, and so just to give you some idea, in the last 20 years, you know, a few multinationals have basically halted and destroyed and replaced, you know, like 80% of the rainforests, you know. So wow. it, we're really fighting over the last remaining scraps. And so and 80% of all the tigers, elephants, and orangutans live in degraded habitat outside of protected areas. And so we really only have the next 10 years to be able to turn around and piece together some viable ecosystems where populations of orangutans, elephants, and tigers can survive. And so it, it does seem to me that's the same period I think scientists are talking about, um, which is obviously connected, the period yes. we have to turn around global warming. And, and, and so, I, I think the message for all of us is, look, we've got 10 years um, and then it's too late. We'll, the world will continue after that, but we're basically handing a basket case of, of species, basket case of ecosystem, basket case of a planet to future generations. So that makes it, it you know, I put the pressure on us as a conservationist yes. environmentalist <laughs> that, we, that we, we can't relax. Uh, we've got 10 years to, to pull this off. 
Yeah, it's a little bit by like trying to take the world by the shoulders and just kind of shake them in front of you and say, you know, snap out of it. You, uh, I, uh, mm. I can relate, and uh, that's. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and and I talk about it's a little bit in my last book, Finding Our Humanity. Unfortunately, because you know we we're basically a tribal species, and we really haven't adapted. Uh, or had time to adapt after agricultural and industrial revolutions. So our brain's not really set up for this kind of problem. If it's a well-defined problem, you know, with, 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 a, with a solution and of other, like if there's a line outside, we would be able to deal with that line very effectively. Um, and, but global warming, because it, it's, it, we can't um, see it, we can't define it as other, it's not other, it's us that's causing it. And we just, our brains are simply um, not set up um, to deal with this. Um, you know, for example, someone wants to get an example. If, if, if we found out global warming was caused solely by North Korea and they were, you know, trying to destroy the planet, we'd have the problem solved in, in very quickly because <laughs> we yep. could define the enemy as other and, and, and we can approach it. Unfortunately, we have to kind of almost outgrow our, you know, go beyond our tribal natural way of solving problems in, mm -hmm. in order to save ourselves. Sure. This isn't a problem you can solve with a big stick. It's a, it's a, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yes, it, yeah. what does, what does a well? I, I suppose first, I think for a lot of people, this might be um, important at this point to understand is uh, what is the the range overall of orangutans? Where in the world um, do they live? Mm -hmm. I mean, historically, they lived all the way up in southern China, all the way out, down to the island of Java, but we've slowly driven them to extinction um, over time. And they had the, the two last strongholds have been on the islands of Sumatra and the island of Borneo. Um, and, and that's where they existed un, un, until relatively modern times. And, um, yeah, and, and now we, it's just this massive acceleration of destruction of our planet, the rainforest and, and orangutans are the casual, one of the many casualties of that. So in your, in your mind and heart, what does a viable habitat what 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 does that process look like of, of creating viable habitat in these in these next 10 years and turning this around how, how do we achieve that yeah no that's it's a very good question because a lot of conservation is kind of wasted in in the big picture of things because not all sure. rainforests are equal um and so all these species and all the all the biodiversity need the low lowland and riverine areas in order to survive so you can save primary rainforests and hills, but all the species will go extinct. You can save small pockets of rainforest everywhere, but all the species will go extinct. And even those pockets of rainforest aren't sustainable in themselves. So we have to save the right type, shape and size of rainforest. Yeah, in, 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 in the, and so give you a rule of thumb, we probably need about each, each ecosystem needs about um, 200,000 hectares, include key riverine and lowland areas um, and 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 those have the capacity to um, be self-sustainable as ecosystems and be large enough to contain enough populations of megafauna um, for them not to spiral 
to extinction in future generations. The thing about a lot of these stories that, that we tell, especially when they get on the, on the sort of darker side of things um, with, with um, animal declines and, and things of that nature, uh, the question inevitably becomes, why should we care? And we pretty much always have the same answer for the most part, um, which is, which is well, because it's not that uh, wildlife uh, should have any like, you know, specific value attributed to it other than its intrinsic value, you know, just protecting it because it's, because it's a wildlife and it's a species and it's biodiversity. And, and that's why, um, but, but we also completely understand that that is a question that a lot of people want a more direct answer to. And so we ask Leaf that question and, and we'll share his answer right after this break. everybody we decided to pull a bit of a switcheroo on you something that we normally do at the complete tail end of the episode it's sort of a useless thing that we do but fun fun nonetheless um we decided to go hey you know what let's put it at the middle and let's let's give it some use in that the animal sound that you are about to hear us attempt to do is an attempt at a hint for our next episode so without further ado, the animal sound of the week. I don't even know where to start with this one. Uh... Actually, I don't think that was that bad. Like, I, I mean... didn't think it was going to come out of my mouth that way. And then I like, I don't know, I just felt it. It, you know, it wasn't that bad, but... This is still just like, I don't know if anyone's going to guess this. Yeah. Here, let's play Let's play the real audio quick. You can submit your guesses for the Animal Sound of the Week by simply replying to our posts about it on social media, emailing us at hey.thewildlife at gmail.com, or sending us a message on really any of our social media platforms, or even at Devin the Nature Guy, which is my, my personal Instagram. So you can, you can message us there too. Submit your guess, get it right, and not only do you now know what the next episode topic is, but you also get a prize. Probably like a sticker or something. Which is still pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I like stickers. Yeah, stickers are stickers, right? I, I kind of collect stickers, I guess. Yeah, I've got a bunch just stuck to my desk. Doing the exact job that they were designed to do, stick to things. Like a hundred on like this chest in my closet that I keep all my thumb props in. Okay, we are back from the break. Um, the road so far, we've talked about basic orangutan stuff, at least at least that's what you've heard about, some basic orangutan facts, but you have also heard about um, this, this, uh, this element of, of caring and, 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 and what makes orangutan so special. Why, why should we care? Why should they be something that's up on the priority list um, to protect? And, uh, and how exactly do we do that? How, how do we save orangutans in this day and age? Back to Leaf. They, they, have a, they have a different culture. So how they use tools and how they interact. Because orangutans, like humans, we predominantly adapt to the environment through culture. 
um, you know, whether let's say a less smart animal predominantly adapts to the environment through natural selection. Sure. And so, so there's huge cultural um, variations um, between different populations okay. of orangutans. Um, but what we're seeing in, in general, as, as another side, is what we're discovering the orangutans are using medicine to treat wounds and to treat malaria. Yeah. Uh, really? And we pass on from generation to generation. And you go to the local people and go, hey, you know, the orangutans are using these herds and these things. And they say, yeah, we use the same ones for the same reasons. So you see the two persons living together in the forest, you know, learning, doesn't make sense, and, and projecting to the future. And, and we're also seeing, um, we, we haven't um, seen it so much in orangutan populations. But we're seeing these kind of um, early animist um, kind of worshipping, doesn't make sense, where chimpanzees are doing dances in front of waterfalls mm -hmm. or piling up rocks inside mm -hmm. hollows of, of trees. And the reason why this is interesting, one is, you know, these things don't have any functional, doesn't make sense, functional reason to occur for their survival as a species. Sure. Um, yes. But there's also... The, there's also if you understand and know a lot of the animus religions that the indigenous communities often still hold, there's often strong connections, doesn't make sense, mm. um, between the more, maybe more sophisticated animus religion of the tribal humans. And, and what we're seeing is that early, um, for example, the early persons in these great apes, they're cognizing themselves as persons and then interacting with the environment and a lot of the environment is very predictable for them um you know because you know what happens but as, as with the as well all humans today even you know supposedly civilized and sophisticated humans what is outside of our understanding we project as somehow supernatural <laughs> yes right? and, and we seek to control that and go how can we control this this thing which seems to occur for no reason outside of control. And that's kind of seems to be the early development of religion and, you know, um, and awe doesn't make sense. And, and you've seen this in a very rudimentary way starting to occur in, in the great hate under, you know, as with the medicines under the, the, the same lines, you know, and, and structure that we see how early animist religions evolved over the centuries. That is fascinating. I have a question. And it's a question that I in no way enjoy asking. And I don't mm -hmm. think it's much of a fair question um, to ask of any lover of wildlife or any conservationist or, or anyone with, um, you know, in, in your line of work. But it's a question that nonetheless the world at large often mm -hmm. asks of those people. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, I'm relaying that. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, uh, frequently and even myself, you know, having conversations um, um also, I teach high school and, um, you know, talking with students, you know, they say, well, why does that matter? Why, why should I care about saving this particular species? Mm -hmm. And what way does that impact me? What's the point? You know, all of those, all of those things that kind of make you cringe and make the hair stand up on your neck a little bit. Um, but I suppose that's my question to you. What is it about orangutans that is worth saving? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can we approach it from two different or three different levels. I think one is 
the world we the world is so interconnected now, and our influence on the world is that level where we can make global changes. So destroying the orangutan habitat is causing more global warming than all the trains, planes, and automobiles combined. So, um, so just to it's foolish to think that the destruction of a person on the other side of the planet is not going to affect you anymore. At least not going to affect your children and grandchildren. And and so that that's kind of I'm sorry, your tribal mind, which thinks protect my little tribe in my little area, <laughs> is, is, yes. is work for your evolution up until now, but it's going to destroy you now. Um, the, the other aspect to it is, um, you know, why do we why do we do anything? And and ultimately, you know, for, for me, there's something far more fundamental. Um, fundamental happening here and this is why I always posit that um, we can't reform the world unless we reform ourselves and and re reason being is is if you find that happiness within yourself you know that, that happiness and joy within yourself you want the whole world to be happy the only only question then is you can't help it <laughs> you mean the only question is how can you yes. according to your ability and knowledge how can you better intelligently apply that happiness and joy um, to help others in the world. Equally, if you're miserable and horrible inside, you can posit that I'm, I'm going to be trying to be some do-gooder to save the world, but you eventually you'll destroy everything you create and you'll undermine your work and may have short-term success, but no long-term efficacy. And, and so my, 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 I guess my most philosophical answer would be, look, it's going to it, it's going to be the natural expression of of your your inner world, you know. Um, sure. And um, you know, so why you do it? Well, you can't help doing it. it. It's simply not possible. When you're happy, you want the world to be happy. Um, you can't imagine why you would not care about orangutans being killed or indigenous people or any other wildlife. It, it starts to almost become incompre incomprehensible to you. To, to do anything else, um, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and so it's not about hope or, or despair or whatever, it's about the natural expression of, of, of love in an intelligent way. I think the fundamental what principle is you find the happiness that's inside you and you naturally have to express that. Um, sure. but, but I think you're highlighting a, a good point. You, 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 you cannot um, dismiss yourself the effect of your external actions doesn't make sense. So if, if you cause the misery in the world, doesn't make sense. While, you, while you're trying to seek happiness in the world through what I call the adult toys, reputation, um, fame, power, and money, you know, um, yes. you, you, you're, you're natu you, you will inconsequently destroy yourself. And you, you, you see your, your typical expose of any person who has sought this in any way whether it's a famous actor or a rich billionaire, dig behind the surface, you find a very unhappy individual, you know, who, who yes. bought themselves a better class of misery, you know? Um, and we wonder, well, why did that person who seemed to have everything commit suicide or, or is turned to drugs or that sort of stuff? The reason is, is they're fundamentally unhappy. And, um, and, 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 and so, I would always caution people, nothing wrong with, you know, reputation, fame, money, and power. If you have it and, and you don't need it, it doesn't make sense. You can use it in an intelligent way to 
to help others and, and, and achieve a greater goal. But if, if they become fundamental to your need to have support for this unhappy individual inside you, it, it, yeah. it, it's, it leads to yeah, a, a horrible life, <laughs> seemingly from the outside full of pleasures and riches. Um, but by God, <laughs> it's something you, you, we should run away from real quickly. My, um, my mother, her absolute favorite animal uh, is, is orangutans. Um, for her, I've asked before, you know, why, why orangutans? And for one, she just thinks they're adorable. Um, but she's just all in all fascinated by them and just sees them as incredibly peaceful. Um, what I would like to pose to you is what is your best pitch to to convert somebody out there um, to adopt the orangutan as their as their new favorite mm -hmm. other life well, on this uh, planet? Yeah. I mean, orangutans are a person, so they deserve a, a special care because the amount of suffering a person feels is great. They're the most intelligent being on the planet next to humans. All the science tells us this. Um, and, 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 and in many ways, they, they, they represent a more, as I mentioned before, a more so noble form of humanity. And I give this as an example. Um, you know, human beings, we, we, we're capable of love and compassion, empathy, but on the, the same side and the same people, capable of so much destruction and hurt does make sense, and, and maliciousness against even our, our own kind. And we have killed over a million orangutans by macheting them, pouring petrol and burning them alive, shooting their eyes out. Right? And orangutans are at least seven times stronger than human, and the males have canines the size of a tiger. But not one recorded history in a zoo, a sanctuary, in a wild has orangutan ever killed a human being because they simply don't have that kill switch. They can't look at a person and want to destroy you. They might want to you know, hurt you to get you out of the way or to get something, but unlike a human, they don't have that capacity to, to look at you and, and, and want to destroy you. And, and so they, they don't have that kill switch that we do. And, and it, it's, you know, the fact that you know, we have this kind of more noble form of humanity and personhood um, living today, you know, um, is something that we should admire and love. Yeah. And of course, yeah. as we mentioned before, killing orangutans is killing ourselves. You know, it's not, you know, there's, there's a natural consequences for our, our lack of compassion for us as beings. Now, for those of you listening, I know the question that you're probably wondering um, if you're if you're anything like us, it's in the back of your mind is how can you help? How can somebody halfway across the world, which, by the way, complete side note, I was just looking at our, our latest stats. And do you know that we are downloaded regularly in 45 countries? Oh, my God. 45 countries. That's pretty good. Um, but so I normally I would say something like Kansas, but who knows? You might be in like Bocaton or or uh, or, 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 well, I know that we have a couple of listeners in um, uh, Australia, more than a couple, um, South, well, actually every continent except for Antarctica. I don't know if you know that. It's sort of a... We need, a, we need to reach out to some scientists living in some research base in Antarctica just so we can say we have listeners in every continent. We, we do need to do that because that'd be pretty great. Um, 
Who knows? Maybe a penguin. Get is, one of them as a guest. Maybe a penguin heard the penguin episode and be like, ah, yes, those guys talking about my knees. Um, anyway, we can't really say the whole Kansas thing. First off, we, why pick Kansas? It's it's like a, it's like a pancake of a place. I'm just kidding. Kansas is actually kind of pretty if you can learn to um, love. But um, <laughs> so so for those of you listening, really anywhere in the world right now. You might be wondering, how can I, the person listening with earbuds or wherever, do anything directly to to help orangutans? And you know what the ultimate answer to that question is, and, and Leaf and I are going to talk about this, is um, there's a lot of things that you can do. It's, it's sort of a falsehood to believe that just because you are geographically distant, that that your impact is low. That that's positive and negative impact. It's sort of like sort of like I'm gonna I'm gonna do a callback to to I it was either Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker here, where where I think it was Rise of Skywalker, yeah, where like the rebels are talking or the resistance, sorry, and they're all like, that's how that's how the first order succeeds is they make you feel like you're alone, but there's more of us than there is of them. It's it's kind of like that whole thing. It's like you oh, feel Lord. like you don't have an impact. You feel like there's nothing you can do. But I promise you, there are so many things that you can do, and we are going to talk about those things right now. Everyone always wants to know what is it that they can do to help? What what can they do as an individual that isn't just clicking on a button to say, yes, I support this? What can an individual, no matter where they are in the world, do to to help? And a very good question, um, because I think we've been sold a pump a pup, as they say in Australia, um, individual actions is, is relatively meaningless um, in, 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 in a broader sense. I mean, undertake individual, your individual actions as a, as, a, as a moral integrity of how you live life is fine, and we should do that. But will it change yes. the world? No. For example, right. if you want to earn a little bit of money, I suggest you get a job. If you want to earn a lot of money, you need to collectivize into a company does that make sense? And you earn a lot of money. Yeah. If you want a little bit more money, go beg to your boss for a small pay rise. If you want a lot of money, you form a union and you, you collectively go to the boss and you get, you'll get better work, work, working conditions and, and a pay rise. Similarly, if we want to save the planet or save the orangutans and rainforest, our individual actions are, are relatively inconsequential other than our own personal integrity. We have to collectivize. So you have to join or support organizations which are you know genuinely because i mean genuinely because there's a lot of you know inefficient yes. or or, or, yes. or badly managed charities a, a, a the bona fide efficient charity that's going to affect the meaningful change in in the world that you you want to happen and i guess there's two there's two ways of doing it and what i normally say is it seems mostly there's two kinds of people in the world one mm -hmm. kind is 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 time poor but money rich and i said what you sure. need to do is 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 you, you're probably better off because you you part your, your wealth is partly gained by passing the true cost of the products and services you get onto future generations and to the powerless the poor people of the world the um the, the wildlife and future generations use that money wisely to support a bona fide charity to make a meaningful change in the world that you want there's another group of people who are um, time rich but money poor, you know. And I say, well, 
you know what what you can do is this you know um, and Rangtang project does this in in many areas you become a volunteer you know you 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 help run the cake store you run the events and that sort of stuff and you use your time to engage others into the cause and 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 to raise money and by that collectivization of either capital or um or, or um, our manpower, we can affect meaningful change in the world at, at a level which is significant. That sort of brings me to um, it's it's related. Um, I frequently hear um, you know one of the one of the best things you can do is to reduce um, reduce your consumption of products um, that are you know uh, in part put together uh, using products from from the rainforest. Um, particularly palm oil. However, on one hand, I also hear that most products that you consume contain at least 3% palm oil. Um, so is that is that an effective solution? Or would, would you say that your proposed solution of habitat protection um, and, and collective support for people who know what they're doing is, is perhaps a, a better route? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, and, 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 it, and it also comes to the point of intelligent conservation. Not, we not only have to have the, the heart, we have to have the intelligence to express that. As, because yes. indiscriminate therapy causes more problems in, in the world and it gives people a false sense that they're achieving something. And for example, um, the idea that, let's say, if we boycott palm oil, we will save a tree is actually false because mm. it, it is basically proposing that the reason people cut the forest down is one, is through corruption, they get access to the forest, but the trees are worth millions of dollars. So they'll take the trees just for the value of the trees. And then because they're smart, they'll, they'll put on whatever unsustainable monoculture that gives them the quickest and fastest income. Yeah. Okay. And if, yes. if palm oil was their only choice, you know, and they weren't allowed to take the trees for the sheer value of the trees themselves. And boycotting palm oil could save a tree, but that's not the case. Trees are very valuable and they have other things like sugar palm and rubber plantations and, um, and acacia plantations, which are, which are very profitable that they could use. And, and so you, unless you having a comprehensive, doesn't make sense, about all products from the forest, including the, the trees themselves, Yes, there's no value in in attacking a particular product. Um, sure. And sim similarly, um, when you attack a particular company, and you, there's actual cases of this, if you say to a company, if you knock that forest down, you know we will boycott you, and they say, okay, we agree. The government will take that land off them because they're not using the land for the purpose for which the license was given. You know, you can't. Sure. Yeah, I'm going to put a monoculture on it and not use it. So they'll take that land off and give it to another company who will then just knock it down. And, and so, <laughs> um, so there's nothing wrong with us making ethical choices about what we buy. There's nothing wrong with us trying to make companies more ethically responsible. Yeah? Um, mm -hmm. However, it's a totally different situation to say that those actions will actually affect the main game saving the, rock, the, the rainforest and, and, the, um, and the environment for the future. And, that's, and that unfortunately takes a very much more intelligent approach of looking at each individual ecosystem, analyzing the illness. It's a bit like going to your doctor and he gives you the same prescription 
the same dosage for different elements, you realize he's a quack. You gotta look <laughs> and go, what, what actions do I need to save this ecosystem and apply intelligently? And unfortunately, the only way you can do that is it, as an individual sitting on the other side of the world, you don't know that. You don't know the action understand. Right. You have to collectivize and use an intelligent understanding to solve the problem. Unfortunately, as in politics, those kinds of conversations and stuff aren't good for fundraising or getting elected. Yeah. <laughs> People right. want a simplistic, that's where our mind works. That's why you know, after World War II, and probably even now we're seeing people, we're falling into tyrannical leaders who have very simplistic solutions to complex problems. Um, Of course, they never work. And and in fact, actually makes things worse (laughs) worse for us. Um, But they're very attractive to the populace (laughs) because that's how, not because they're stupid, because our brain, when we're under stress, we, 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 our brain is set to, what's a simple solution? Doesn't make sense. And um, unfortunately, that's not how we can save the planet and, and certainly save the rainforest ecosystems. And this is why, so for example, if you go to the Orangutan Project website and we, you say, what, what, what do we did last year? And we don't actually really, we, we show the financials because we, we need to do that as, as, you know, as an accountable organization. But what we measure is how many orangutans were saved, how many orangutans were reintroduced, how many forests, how many trees, how many hectares we protected, how many hectares were replanted. And so you are what you measure. Does it make sense? So it's, yes. again, there's nothing wrong with, let's say, getting the company owned Oriole to become more sustainable. Um, but of course, they probably have a wholly owned subsidiary, which is knocking down the forest for pulp paper, <laughs> the same forest. So, but there's nothing wrong with making particular companies or sub companies or industries more sustainable. But unless you can ask somebody how you measure, if, you, if you're pretending to save the forest, tell me how you're measuring the forest that you saved. Can you tell me sure. that you've saved this, this action is going to save how many hectares or how many trees? And if they can't do that, it's, it's a bit like um, you investing into a, a, a car company. You know, and you're saying, I'm giving you some millions of dollars to make me cars. And they come back and they say, well, we've got fantastic consumer campaign. We've got great marketing. We've got great design. And you've got fantastic, so wonderful. Tell me how many cars you made. Oh, we haven't made any cars. <laughs> 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 and so often these uh, conservations like that is going, well, yeah, you're measuring how much money you raise and consumer awareness and companies signing sustainability clauses, usually 10 years out. Within, you know, in 15 years' time, we, we're going to be sustainable or whatnot. Um, well, that's all fine. I, I'm not against any of that. But can you tell sure. me, if you're, you're conservation, how much habitat and species can you measure that you're protecting? If not, then you, you can't actually be doing the work, if that makes sense. Because any work, if you're selling cars, you need to sell cars and feedback yes. to your shareholders. that you've sold X number of cows. If you can't do that, you know, you're you're obviously, the shareholders should be angry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what what it sounds like to me, and and correct me if uh, I I rephrase this incorrectly, um, frequently the the measure of conservation is in what did we stop? What did we put a line at and say, no moving past here, do not pass, go. And it's not enough on 
how are we bringing this back? What specifically did we do here that has achieved some measure of not just conservation and not just static, but is actually going to improve lives, save lives, protect habitat, rebuild habitat? It's a bit like if you're trying to save starving children and you measure that we've, we've supplied this much water, this many tents and this much that, but you're not actually measuring have those children survived? Yes. You know, so so we're measuring the 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 you know parts of the process, um, but we often fail to measure the outcome. And and unfortunately, the reason is it's we're losing the battle. You know, yeah. if we were saving starving children, I could report back to you. You know, you know we saved all this, but the kids are dead. But no one wants yeah. to report that back. And so, and so. From a fundraising perspective, organizations want to say, look, we've won. The company has signed a sustainability agreement and in 20 years' time, it will not destroy the forest anymore. We can all celebrate. But as we know, the forest is still disappearing you know, at a great rate. And so this is why we, we need a, a, um, a different way of, of approaching things. Uh, you said there's about 800 left of the Tapanuli species. Mm -hmm. What about the other two species? What are we looking at for populations and what what are their declines looking like okay these the smart orangutans is about fourteen thousand left and they estimate about thousand a year being killed and the Bornean orangutan is about fifty five thousand orangutans left and about five thousand a year being killed wow and that math sure heck of a lot sounds like you were ten years mm -hmm. ten years yeah yeah I mean obviously as as you know as a as orangutans come less in numbers, and then yes, you kill the same percentage, it, it kind of it changes over time. So it's not not going to be a clear linear thing. With ten years, the last orangutan is going to die. But what I say is, look, in ten years, if we don't turn this around, will there be rainforest? Yes, but the rainforest is not going to be in sustainable um, ecosystems. And will there be orangutan? Yes. But those orangutan populations will not be sustainable. So eventually, in 120 years' time, they will be extinct. They'll inbreed into extinction. You know, so it's a, yes. so when we're talking about the, um, we've got 10 years to turn it around. We're talking about 10 years to turn it around before, you know, it's too late. And it's same with in the global situation. It's like sure, you know, we can do things to help the world after 10 years. But what we're saying is, is after 10 years, if we don't make significant changes, the world will continue to spiral into, in, you know, into a, a, an environment that is not suitable to support you know, human beings as they exist today. And so it's a very similar kind of idea. The, my maybe a take home message would be, it's not wildlife versus people or the environment versus the economy. You know, it's, sure. it's do we have solutions which are, which are win-win for those. So those, those ideas are, are false paradigms. Um, and, and, and so it really, the real question is, is do we allow a few greedy people to get the rich at the expense of the many? Don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not against people getting rich. But what they do is they pass on, by changing the rules to their favor, rigging the system, they pass the true cost of production onto the powerless the orangutan, the indigenous communities, the poor nations of the world, and future generations. And 
they, they're not actually getting any happier. <laughs> you know, if you meet them, they're, they're miserable. <laughs> and, and of course, what we know is once you reach a certain level of economic affluence, let's say it's about 100,000 US a year, there's no net gain in happiness. Does it make sense? And so what we want to do is build a better world for everybody, including the, the, the rich, including the powerful, you know, and, and it's not about, it's not us against them. It, it's building a better world and almost trying to um, counteract this, um, this corporate psychopathy, which doesn't account for, that makes sense, the yes. fact that human beings and persons matter, you know, and it's conscious beings that share our planet. In the end, it's probably the only thing that matters, and 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 we can all have a happier, um, happier life in the future. But it's not us against them, and and it should never be posed in those terms. You've mentioned, and this is something that I I think about endlessly, and I have not come to a solution. And and uh, I'm I'm wondering if you have an idea, and that is this barrier that we have. Um, in, in our tribalism, in, in our biology, in the way that we've evolved of not being able, easily able, to look at a problem that is conceptual or far away as an immediate fearful problem, mm -hmm. something that should be dealt with. How do we overcome that barrier? How do we convince, you know, if there's someone listening who's unconvinced, how do we convince to take something like this as a, a more immediate threat and not something that someone else is going to deal with or something that isn't really much of an issue. Yeah, I, I think that the main thing is when we, um, when we're talking to people, we got to talk with, with love. I just don't believe the intellect is, is able to um, fully comprehend. Does it make sense? We don't only get half the message. Unless we have empathy yeah. for somebody else, we can't listen to them properly. We can't understand them properly. Just listening to the words intellectually is not going to help. And unless we listen to somebody, they're not going to listen to us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, and in the end is, is um, caring, a, the expansion of love and caring beyond, you know, the evolution capacity of the humans is possible within us, you know, mm -hmm. and, and ironically, it's, it's, it's a key to happiness, you know, the, you know, yeah. the sense of fun. And, um, and, and so by, by that kind of empathetic communication, does it make sense? And yes. positing, does it make sense? And showing people how keys to become happier, does it make sense? They'll naturally see it. The intellect will naturally be able to see beyond the confines of our evolution. Sure. And the heart will naturally want to um, make it. So we have to, in, in some sense, communicate love and intelligence. Does it make sense? And in a way that benefits the listener. Does it make sense? And so sure. it's not about asking a listener to do something. It's, it's asking, does it make sense? It, the, the communication must be there at a level that helps the listener. Does it make sense? Sure. And, and from that will be a natural expansion of consciousness, both on the intellect to understand about things that happen outside of our, our tribal realm, that makes sense, and the love and compassion to, to make that happen. Yeah. And that's why, like in my books now, like Finding Our Humanity, I, I tend to 
um, talk and discuss that far more than I did in the past because I'm, I'm seeking to at least affect enough meaningful change in others to solve the problem that we have to, have to solve. So there's there's one thing that came up in this conversation that I'll I'll admit that after the conversation I kind of um, had had some kind of internal back and forth with myself and something that Richard and I not recording you know and because we did this interview back in I think November and so we've had this conversation quite a few times since then um, a couple of times like going to record and then not really liking how it was coming out and what we we're putting together and scrapping it coming back and. And that, that was about, um, so one of the things that, that Leaf kind of alludes to, um, and, and this is not, this is not anything against uh, him or his work or anything like that. Um, but just maybe a, another perspective is, um, uh, protecting the orangutan because they are intelligent and because they are like, um, a better version of ourselves and, in, in their, in their, way of living and, and their peacefulness and, and that sort of thing. And, um, I feel some internal pushback and, and it's not, it's not to say that we shouldn't protect them. It's not to say that any of those things aren't true. Um, I, I just think, and I think we agree that, that, well, kind of what we've been saying, it's something we've repeated a few times now, um, that, um, people, that wildlife should be protected for its intrinsic value, right? Because not because of some monetary value. And I understand that for some people that just doesn't matter. Um, but, but it, as soon as we get into the realm of protecting something because we deem it as intelligent, um, and more human like that puts a lot of other wildlife at risk. Yeah. For the, for the stuff that isn't, I mean, I don't think he's trying to say no, that I don't think it so doesn't either. matter if they're not like that. It's just, you know, it, it is a good point because yes. if it's human-like, it's like you want to you wanna protect and do good for your fellow human beings, right? So why just let this animal get its home destroyed and be killed that displays its own intelligence? But yeah. I mean, there, there shouldn't always have to be some sort of a reward system for doing something or law scaring you into not doing something it's like you 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 know what's right and as a human being you 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 know right from wrong and you have the ability to take action and to have more an effect on the environment around you and so why not make it a positive impact instead of a negative one exactly exactly and yeah i don't i don't think that's what leaf is trying to say i think it's just a i think it's i think it is a good point and it is something that might do a lot of convincing for other people. I think as a point of clarification on, on our end is just to say that's not the only reason that wildlife should be valued. And that's not the only reason that you should be interested in pr protecting uh, orangutans. It's not their, their uh, seemingly humanness, um, but, but because, it's, because it's wildlife. And, and because, and here, I think here's the biggest kicker, um, because the reason for their 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 decline and their suffering is our action, 
I think maybe oh, most definitely. Yeah, I think maybe if it was not our action, I I I think it's more understandable and you can give more grace to like kind of wondering, you know, what we should do because it's also nature and there's natural selection. It's but like here's clean the thing: up after yourself, it's, you it's, know. It's yeah, like it was weird doing it. Right. Is exactly. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you're a kid and Fix you do something and you break something when you're a little kid. You know, your parents they're like, okay, it's okay. So you didn't mean to, whatever. Um, but we're not kids anymore, <laughs> right? Um, you're grown up and you can make your own decisions and you can say, oh, yeah, that's maybe not the best thing to do. That's a bit messy. Maybe I should clean up after myself. And um, and that's kind of what we're, we're looking at. That's what we're asking. That's what we are um, venturing towards in conservation is um, the more we become aware and the more that we learn, um, the less excuses we have for continuing our actions as normal. And just going with the status quo, and um, um, I just yeah, as a as a kind of a, a parting parting message, uh, and because this is going to tie into one of our episodes, actually both of our next two upcoming episodes, and kind of our third upcoming episode, is um, intelligence. I mean that that whole thing gets tricky. I mean we've done an episode on plant intelligence, but you know as soon as we start trying to make attributes like that to other species, we very quickly get into the realm of, um, what's, what's that measure? I mean, is it just a human measure? Like what, what is intelligence? Is it just something that like, because I think, I think that intelligence in nature has more to do about survivability and, you know, can you live? Can you find a mate? Can you, you know, all of those things. I mean, that to me says, wow, I mean, you are incredibly successful in your habitat. You are intelligent. It's not necessarily that, oh, I can solve a puzzle. And, and so for humans, it's frequently like, oh, can they solve this puzzle? Oh, great. Okay. Do they recognize themselves? Okay. That's great. But, but I think that that's, that's a really constricted view. And if we fall into that, then that closes our minds to a lot of, um, things that might save, that might save species around the planet. Thanks again to, to Leif Cox, um, for sitting down with us and, and, and uh, having this conversation, um, it's not something that's necessarily like the most upbeat thing in the world, but it's still important information. And so we, we appreciate him taking that time. It's been um, pretty much six months since we did the interview. So we're happy to actually finally get it out there. And uh, if you want to learn more about the Orangutan Project, you can, uh, you can find more about them at the orangutanproject.org. And we will link to that in our episode notes. So Definitely check that out. Check out some of um, Leaf's books, uh, and um, and uh, you know, learn 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 a little bit more about orangutans. I think I think there's one thing that's great about the the generation that is now, or just life now in, in this time. Um, aside from the fact that we all seem to have a little bit more time on our hands, is that um, we have many of us. If you have the internet, you have basically access to the whole of human knowledge. So if there's something that, you know, you want to learn more about, well, yeah, you could ask us that that's great. We'll, we'll answer your questions, but, but you could also go to YouTube and, and watch some really interesting videos put together about orangutans or, or go to the orangutan project website and learn more there. There's so much more that you can learn. And that power, that power to learn is in your hands. And that's, what's great. Like, there's a lot of content from some pretty trusted sources on YouTube. Like, yeah. Stuff like National Geographic has just a 
plenty of videos. Yeah, there's there's a really good one on there called the uh, the Secret Life of Orangutans. That it's like 17 minutes long, but I highly recommend. Um, thanks again to to our patrons, our, our monthly members, supporters, um, Andrea Lloyd, Megan Gariani, Chris Trankel, Matt Capel, Bridget Fitzgerald, Angela Hartman, Mike Henry, and Whitney Vandevere. Oh, and Maria Hancox. Not not to forget, not to forget Maria Hancox because great great page in there. So um, thank you, thank you uh, for for doing what you do. Thank you for um, supporting the show. And if you want to join those glorious ranks of human beings, um, you can do that at Patreon.com/slash/TheWiredLife. And please remember wherever you're listening to rate and review. And um, we hope that you're we hope that you're staying home. And you're staying safe and you're staying healthy and that your families are healthy and uh, catch us next week. Auf Wiedersehen. Bye.